This is the Future of HR Podcast, Episode 77. And I tell CEOs, CHROs, and leaders, you have three years in a dynamic workforce. You have the first year to prove that they made the right decision to come to you. So belonging will be critical. Second year, you have to prove that you're serious about developing everyone. So it's about your manager, career conversations, showing that you are really serious about developing this individual. The third year is a fair game. The individual is going to make an assessment for their careers if they should move horizontally somewhere else, growth within your company, or decide to leave. And as an employer, you have to identify on the third year, is this an individual who is going to be my leadership pipeline? Because that's what you have. That three-year mark is essentially your biggest opportunity or your biggest failure. What skills will be essential in the new workplace? How can you and your organization adapt to the future of work? Hi, I'm your host, JP Elliott, and this is the Future of HR podcast, the only podcast whose mission is to inspire the next generation of HR leaders. On each episode, I interview successful HR executives and thought leaders who are reimagining, rethinking, and leading our field into the future. During our candid conversations, you will learn about their career journeys, their lessons learned along the way, and their insights on how to take our field, and most importantly, your career to the next level. My guest this week is Wagner Dinoso. Wagner is a future of work expert, author, executive coach, and HR startup advisor. Shaping Wagner's unique perspective and passion for the future of work is his blend of experiences that he's had over his career. Wagner has worked as a psychotherapist, executive coach, human capital consultant, and talent executive. And during his time as a talent executive, he was the global VP, head of leadership and management development at IBM, and then later VP, head of capabilities for the future of work at Prudential Financial. Wagner is also the author of a new book, Leading to Succeed, Essential Skills for the New Workplace. In his new book, Wagner makes the case that how we work How we develop the next generation of talent and how we lead must change to keep pace with the future of work. This is Wagner's second time on the podcast. And in our first conversation, episode 49, Wagner shared his wisdom on how clarity creates capacity and many other topics. If you enjoyed today's conversation with Wagner, I encourage you to listen to episode 49 as well. And what can you expect today? In my conversation with Wagner, we're going to discuss why he believes awareness, acceptance, and accountability are the keys to success in life and career, what a personal success profile is and how it can help you accelerate your career, what he calls the five Ds of the new workplace and why they matter, why he believes we should move away from performance management and move towards project assessments, and his disruptive coaching model and how to apply it and much more. Wagner, welcome to the Future of HR podcast. How are you? I'm very good, JP. Thanks so much for inviting me again, especially now that I have a book coming out. And 2024 is going to be an amazing year for us. We're excited to have you back on the podcast. Not many guests have come back for a second round, but your first episode where you really talked about clarity creates capacity was impactful. Lots of emails, lots of comments. I did really, really well. And so I'm excited to have you back because your new book, Leading to Succeed, is important. And it really focuses on Gen Z early career professionals, which is a passion for mine as well. 
But I want to kick it off and talk to you about your impressive career. So you not only were a talent HR executive at IBM and most recently Prudential, but what I didn't know until I read the book was how you got lucky and got your big break. And I say lucky with quotation marks, but you got your big break at IBM, I believe. And I'd love if you could share that story because I think it's so inspiring. That's right, JP. And thank you for reading the book. The idea, when I become an immigrant, I came to United States as an immigrant. And you have to be creative and you have to try whatever resources you have, you use them. When I decided to move away from psychotherapy, I was doing psychotherapy, executive coaching, consulting, but in the city, in New York City, and I moved to the suburbs. I said, I need an experience in a big corporation because especially in a global company, because I didn't have that before. And I saw that IBM was 20 minutes, literally 20 minutes away from my new house. And I said, I'm going to try. I didn't know anybody. What I did was I remember somebody that had an email from IBM. He wasn't there anymore, but I knew the suffix was us.ibm.com. And I found this gentleman, Ron Glover is his name, and I owe him so much. Because I saw his name, I didn't know his email, so I called his office and his assistant said, no, sir, I'm not going to pass your resume. No, sir, I'm not going to pass this call to him. No, sir, he's not going to answer your emails because you have to go through the same process everybody does. But I didn't go through that just to stop there. So I was in my kitchen table and I still remember. I made combinations of his name. R. Glover, Ron Glover, Ron Dog Glover, Glover Dog R. R. Glover. And I made 15 combinations of his name and I sent just a simple message. I have the conviction that I can add value to IBM and its clients because I believe in the values of your company. Please consider me for an opportunity. That's all I said. He actually read my email. He was famous for having 3,000 emails a day. And he was a VP of talent and diversity there. And actually, he passed to HR. HR called me and said, I'm just interviewing you because Ron asked us to interview you. What do I do with you? I said, I don't know what opportunities you have, but I can be your greatest cultural evangelist because I truly believe in your values. In two months, I was the leadership and organizational consultant for IBM. And that is fantastic because... I truly believed in what I was saying about a values-based organization, needing a values-based leader. And I just went with faith that they would find me a role for it. And they did. It was amazing. But this also brings me to a vulnerable story because I always thought that he really was the mentor that I never had in my career. When he retired, I wrote a beautiful letter to him, but I never sent it. And he passed away. And I regret greatly not having had the opportunity to give him the letter. So for those of you who are listening, if you have an opportunity to be grateful and express your gratitude to those who helped you, do so immediately because you never know if you're going to have the opportunity to do so. So this question reminds me this vulnerability as well. Thank you, Wagner. What a great story and what a great message, not only for gratitude and making sure you let people know how much they've done while they're here. And I think it's so important. People who have mentored, I've mentored, or have maybe had an impact on people's career. It, nothing means more than to get those notes that, hey, I still remember what you've done for me or you are doing those things for me. So that's great. What an important message. And kudos to you because a lot of people say, well, that's not how the rules are. 
right? You got to break through. And the reality is sometimes you got to break some rules to break through and get the attention and get the chance. And once you got that opportunity, you, you grabbed it, right? Now they saw something in you and you did really well and you moved on from a consultant all the way up to a vice president. So you had an amazing career at IBM. They saw something in you and they made it great. That's awesome. And I personally love when people reach out and they're really motivated to get that job because they're hungry. Exactly. And I think that's really important too. I think it's a great thing to do. And I did something early in my career as well. So we encourage you both to thank Wagner and I to go after your dreams, send an email, LinkedIn, et cetera. It's easier today than maybe it was back then. But the reality is you got to keep plugging ahead to break through. Talk to me more about why did you decide to write Leading to Succeed? And, and what do you hope readers take away from the book? It's interesting because I always had the intention to bridge my early experiences as a psychotherapist with HR, human capital management, and leadership, because those are the three areas that I have always been immersed in. And the book gave me the opportunity because after the last five years, if you understand collective trauma and the microaggressions that we went through, especially me being a minority leader, being a Latino gay man, immigrant from Brazil, I do have this passion for igniting knowledge about the selves so you can activate your value in your community. So for me, it was important to share. I truly believe sharing is the power skill of the future. And I believe in sharing without asking for reciprocity. It's not a quid pro quo engagement. It's about sharing because you want to see people succeed. And that's what I did in the book. I wanted earning career folks to understand that right now we are going through a transition that we've never been before. It's very important to understand that if nobody gave you the guidance on what pathway to take, it's because the pathways are diverging so much that there is no one destination that's going to satisfy everybody. So you have to understand that now we need to rely on ourselves on our sense of uh, self-worth, understanding ourselves, and position ourselves for success, not with a destination marked in the paper or on a map, but you have to have a direction. Destination, I think, is secondary to direction. But I thought the book would help people understand that actually we are the outcome of our upbringing. We are the outcome of our emotional development. When I think about the times that I was so bullied in school as a child, the repression that you experience silently when you are different, and when you go through all this process in a country that doesn't give you much opportunity to grow or do anything, then you become an immigrant and then you don't know the rules in a new country. All this is very disconcerting. So I said, I know the experience. And I think a lot of early career folks are going through the experience now because the workplace is changing so dramatically. So that's why I decided to write the book. Understanding that you yourself, you have the responsibility to become aware, accepting who you are, and then taking accountability. It's my three A's to be successful. Awareness is just the beginning. Acceptance is much harder to accept your self-limiting beliefs accepting that actually you didn't take opportunity because you felt afraid of taking the opportunity. So acceptance is such an important piece for you to eliminate shame and guilt because acceptance is the essence of who you are and there is no judgment there. And then accountability is for taking the steps that you need to take to show up. 
So awareness, acceptance, and accountability, I think is going to be important. That's why I wrote the book. It sounds like it's such an important book and a personal book for you as well. And one of the concepts that really struck me was this idea of a personal success profile. And that kind of talks about what you just talked about there, the three A's and getting to know who you are and bringing that to life. But talk more about this idea of a personal success profile because I think it's important. I love the idea that you have to personalize the experience and own it. So, of course, every organization has competency models. Sometimes they have taxonomy for skills. All this is, is what I usually say. Why you're buying a library when you're looking for a collection of books only? Don't try to build a library because by the time you finish building the structure, you're all outdated. So it's useless. For individuals today, what they need to do is what's the most essential capabilities a human has to develop to be successful at adapting different contexts in different industries, different phases of maturity. So I came up with something very simple. The cards is your cards. I believe too that the future is transparent. Transparency leads to trust, but trust needs to be kept because you can lose trust very quickly. It's very hard to build, but very easy to lose. So with that transparency that we are seeing in the organization, you have to show your card. Card stands for five capabilities that I believe everybody needs to develop, which is cognitive mastery, understanding your emotional reactions to events based on your own ideas, based on your values that you internalize as a child, based on all the history that you had. But cognitive mastery it speaks to the ability that you are still mastering those reactions without expressing them. You can master how you respond to the world. And I always love Viktor Frankl's quote about that. I love it because it's exactly the essence of what I'm trying to say. He says, response to stimuli that between the stimuli and a response, there is a pause. In that pause is your power to discern what you need to say and how you want to respond. And your response is your power and your freedom. I love how he says that because you have the ability to control how you respond to the world, knowing how you're reacting emotionally. So that's cognitive mastery. That's just to see. The A is adaptive resilience. People talk about resilience as if it's just one thing. You always act the same way. You're strong enough. It's not grit. I'm not talking about grit. I'm talking about being adaptive to the context, to the situations, to the people. Different things will require a different way of you to show up and be supportive and resilient. So resilience has to be adaptive. With that comes the, I love this one because it's reciprocity alignment. What I mean is we're in a world that reciprocity has to be part of the fabric of an organization. Culturally, an organization is basically relationships. And reciprocity alignment is about really mastering the idea that actually you get paid to work, your rewards are commensurated with the efforts and your titles, but also seeking to understand what people need from you and what do you need from people because it's not a quid pro quo, like I said. It's really align your reciprocity to give others empowerment and give others the opportunity for success. That is one. But the other one is digital fluency. The G is for digital fluency. I think you cannot survive in the workplace without digital fluency. So that goes without saying. And the last one is sense-making. 
sense making, I think, is critical for any leader who wants to organize in their minds and synthesize the amount of information that we are getting. The amount of information content being produced today with AI, generative AI, I don't think you can control the amount of information that's coming. But what you can do is to synthesize, make sense of them in the context you're in, and explain to others so people are clear about what they need to do. It goes back to clarity creates capacity. So the cards is basically that. Use your cards, show your cards, because in a transparent world, you need to show your cards to be successful. But it's not all inclusive because there's a lot of ideas underneath all this, which is related to diversity and inclusion, related to a flatter organization where teams take the lead. All that comes wrapped in the success profile. Now, you also talk about in the book, and I know you spend a lot of time thinking about the future of work, but you call it the five Ds of the new workforce. Walk us through a little bit what these five Ds are and like how it's impacting us, because we probably are experiencing it every day, but it's great you put a little bit more, a finer point on that with these five Ds. It's interesting because when you talk about this, I immediately go to the questions that I've been getting about how do you know, how do you know, how do you know? Well, you know by experiencing, being open to listening and sensing the signals that you observe. So to that point, I was in an international student's conference recently. They asked me to speak and was an eye-opener because those are the brightest kids from the world. It was 200 select all over the world from biggest universities. Great names. I was surprised to hear how insecure they feel entering the workplace, how they have a different mindset about what a career is, a portfolio career is, and as opposed to years when I was a student a long, long time ago, we seek to pursue careers that are already determined to be good careers. Today, you cannot say it. This is a good career. That's not a good career. It depends on many, many factors. But the five Ds, I think, is very simple because they are self-describing. The five Ds are basically, they're distributed. You can't get away from that. Organizations are going to be distributed because the workforce is distributed because the skills are everywhere. Dynamic, because millennials and Gen Zs know what's like to seek advancement, to seek growth, and they will use all their resources to grow and develop themselves professionally. And I tell CEOs, CHROs, and leaders, you have three years in a dynamic workforce. You have the first year to prove that they made the right decision to come to you. So coaching, creating a sense of belonging will be critical. Second year, you have to prove that you're serious about developing everyone. So it's about your manager, career conversations, showing that you are really serious about developing this individual. The third year is a fair game. The individual is going to make an assessment for their careers if they should move horizontally somewhere else, growth within your company, or decide to leave because that's an option as well. If there is no advancement, there is no opportunity. But you only have three years to do this. And as an employer, you have to identify on the third year, is this an individual who is going to be my leadership pipeline? Because that's what you have. That three-year mark is essentially your biggest opportunity or your biggest failure. That's dynamic. But the Ds go on because they are diverse. Think about the demographics. If you look at the demographics, they're changing. 
We are going to become much more diverse in five to 10 years. So you have to deal with that. They are diverse. And the workforce of the future is digital, as I said. And the last one, which I love the most, is discerning. Because they are discerning. They are making assessments about what the companies they are aligned to their values, what are the companies that they really feel the energy toward. And they're discerning. I love that. When people say Gen Z is this or millennials that, I said, stop judging or labeling because that doesn't help anyone. What I really love is this new generation has access to a lot of information. They are actively pursuing the information and they are discerning and making a judgment before they make the step towards your company. So don't underestimate the intelligence of your employees because they are discerning. I love discerning. And I think in the context, as you talked about, that three-year plan, right? The three years you have to make sure it makes sense. And they may be discerning, but once they join, what are we doing to help make sure they reinforce that decision, that it was a great company to join? And then are we focused on their development? Is there a career path? And of course, the company side has to decide if they're future leaders, but that discerning piece you know, is one I hadn't heard and hadn't thought of as much. And I think you're right. Everyone today, because the information we have at our fingertips is just much more of an educated consumer on every area. And people are much more likely to reach out and say, well, do you know someone who works here? Let me find out. Look at what's on Glassdoor and way beyond that. So I think that's an important piece that we've got to keep as we think about trying to attract Gen Z to our organizations and keep them. We've got to deliver on those promises like you talked about. The other thing you've said, and I think this is a really important topic that I personally agree with you, is that teams are a new unit of value. So talk to more about what you mean by that statement. I truly believe in this one because in my experiences as a leader, as someone who did so many transformations, and I saw how leadership really defined the quality of initiatives and the quality of the outcomes of teams. And if you think about today, when you think about impact teams, yes, impact teams are good for operational tasks that are predictable. But when organizations are faced with so many forcing functions in the world, you have to think quickly. You have to apply your agility and all that. So most likely, you're going to have to compose team. If you're going to go for capabilities that are going to give you competitive advantage, you're going to talk about strategy and immediately start thinking, how can I identify the organizational capabilities that's going to give me this value? And execution is always preceding the success, but it's always post-capability identification that you really can compose a team to execute on the capability. And usually those things come from technology. Sometimes they come from treasury. Sometimes they come from communication. Sometimes they come from different areas in your organization. So cross-functional teams is the unit of value. And teams do much better work than individuals by themselves. I think what I'm referring to is the legacy of the Jack Welch era where individual hero leaders, hero leaders used to talk about, oh, we need to hire so-and-so because he's going to change everything for us. That doesn't happen anymore. You can't hire an individual as a capability. A capability is a confluence and convergence of all this talent. I do believe from now on, the unit of value in organizations is teams who produce the outcomes that you desire based on the capabilities you're trying to develop. 
And it's not going to come from one department. I truly believe in that. It's the idea individuals are heroes. They are going to save our legacy organization. That doesn't work. I agree with you. And I, I think for Gen Z or next-gen HR leaders, whoever is up and coming in the workforce, one of the underrated skills is working in a team, collaborating, yes. Yes. bringing out the best in others, understanding how to play devil's advocate, how to... Yeah figure out who's got the right skills and who doesn't have the right skills and how do you flex the team so that you get what you need done, right? Yes. And you're right. Almost all the work that gets done today is team-oriented. Yes. But I think, Wagner, what I always struggle with is we're not rewarding teams. We don't have performance management systems on teams. We don't have bonuses paid on teams very often. There might be some sales teams that do that, but I haven't seen too many of those. Are there other things you think we need to be thinking about and as we think about teams to make it successful? Three things, actually. Number one is composition of a team. You're not composing your team with the resources of full-time employees only. Today, we have the talent marketplaces, public and private, but the talent pools that you can pick from to create these teams that are going to build a capability is available today. Most companies are restraining from doing this, but I think you need to embrace the open talent community. So that's number one. Composition of teams takes a whole different notion and dimension because you can accelerate things by picking the right talent pools and that can be temporary. But then the essence is how do you create teams that respect each other, that team members feel empowered to be leaders in them, their own selves? It's the whole idea of agile teams in a more informal way because agile teams has some practices that are good for technology, but not so good for others. What I'm saying is, take what's good ab about agile teams and just focus on agility and self-direction. Self-directed teams are going to be the unit of value because decision-making has been a hindering, one of the hindering processes in organizations because nobody makes decisions. And people are saying, I like to say this because I just heard the other day and I think it's true. People are not getting fatigued because Changes are so overwhelming and all this. Yes, it is overwhelming. Or survey fatigue. That's the one that people kept telling me. Oh, people are tired of surveys. They survey fatigue. I don't think survey fatigue. And that's what this person said. It's about the fatigue of lack of action from leadership. What employees are tired and fatigued is to express the needs that they have, express the opportunities for improvement in the organization and not seeing any changes happen. That's what they're fatigued about. They're not fatigued about expressing themselves. Nobody fatigues from expressing themselves. So that said, it goes back to the teams. How do you compose the teams? But then how do you create the team effectiveness? I have six conversations that my team did previously. Six conversations that are crucial for teams to do well. It's about decision-making. It's about when you perceive that something's not going in the right direction. When you perceive that we are losing sight of things that are happening, impacting the team, all this is everybody's responsibility. You have to create a team immersion experience where people understand the norms, they come up with their co-creation. And I think this is a really critical. I do this work sometimes and it's amazing the impact on teams. If you prepare them to function as a team, they're going to do really well. But the third piece is rewards. How do we reward teams? I think we need to let go of the idea of the policies, processes in HR and programs. 
because it becomes this obsession with the completion of processes annually. And I think we have to step back and just, is this yielding any value for the organization? Because the normal curve, we know, 80% of people are doing fine and they're doing fine and they hate being mediocre because that's what it feels like when you're just passing. So why don't we just focus on team? Because the majority of people are going to be in teams and those who deserve a, a promotion will get a promotion. Those who deserve a spot bonus will get a spot bonus. But most people are all there doing this together. So why not project assessments? That's where I want to get to. Instead of performance management, annual reviews, apply the idea that every time you're in a team, you are in a process of assessing your skills and gaining skills. So let's adopt the idea of project assessments because that's what you're going to have at the end of the year to go with. So the performance management system today is not allowing for that. So performance has to move towards teams. And that's another discussion or another book that <laughs> we need to see. It's a big topic. I think you're right. Teams is how we all operate today. And someone's going to figure out how we have a little more unit of value in terms of recognition, rewards, performance management that would align to that and build a collaborative culture that I think gets more done. So I, th I love that you're thinking that way. To have a, that kind of culture that nearly has teams based, you have to have leaders that are really good coaches. And Wagner, in your book, you have a, what you call a disruptive coaching model. It's idea, identify, disrupt, encourage, activate. Tell us more about your approach to coaching because disrupt really kind of got me. So I wanted to hear more about it. This goes in line with so many things. Nothing's in isolation. But when you think about what happens organizationally, we address gaps in development of the cultural norms. We address things in a way that sometimes is not the most helpful. For example, creating a month of this, a month of that, being time capsules of focus on a community, just to say that everybody's focused on that community for a month. That doesn't make any sense anymore to me. What we make sense to me is to start thinking that leadership is going to be about letting people take control and be autonomous when you trust them. I think great leadership is going to have to come from this self-confidence that I'm a leader of people that I trust can independently do the work that I'm asking them to do. Being a leader is going to be more about having the courage to allow things to happen without having control over everything. So you're going to see this more and more because organizations are going to be left behind if they ask for decision-making to be done always at the SLT level, senior leadership team levels. That cannot work in a dynamic universe that we are entering. So what I'm saying is great leaders are going to be the ones who allow themselves not to be in control of what's happening, because when you don't have that control, you allow people to manage themselves in teams and make the decisions that are most appropriate for the situation they're in. Everything is situational. And I think that's what's going to happen in the future. I think leaders, they are really great leaders, are going to let go of control. And to do that, you've got to coach and help your team potentially to get to those right answers, but not try to give the answer, especially when you're at the higher levels. It makes a lot of sense because you're right. Things happen really fast. And a lot of organizations want to be more dynamic. They're pushing decision-making down you know, to the lower levels. And it depends on the culture, right? Some cultures can do that. It depends on the business model. 
But I agree that I think if you can give people autonomy where they have the most impact, the most insight, you're going to get not only more engagement, but I think better decisions for the business. So I think it makes a lot of sense. To be honest with you, what comes to mind is the essence of my book. I truly believe leadership is everybody's business. When you have that mindset, you know that you're giving accountability to every single individual in your organization to be a leader in, the, in their own selves. Self-management is a critical element here. Then you need to really allow yourself to understand others without the prejudice, then you preconceive the ideas that we all have. That's what's going to make really a team function well. And then you need the leadership of understanding the complexity that's involved in leading organizations. To be honest, it might be a little controversial, but it's true. We need to help early careers to develop empathy for their senior leaders. Empathy towards what executives are going through in the last few years. It's not easy to be leading an organization today. Board of directors are asking CEOs what you're doing to grow your organization. What are you doing to be more efficient? What are you doing with AI? What are you doing to keep the right talents? So all this is coming at a point where nobody has answers. Adopting the posture of everybody's trying their best, positive intent, I think that's very helpful. Instead of judging each other, because it's not working. Judging each other is not working. Really insightful, Wagner. I appreciate that. And the last question I've got for you is, What's your advice for next generation HR talent professionals who are inspired by this conversation today and want to co-create the future of work for their organization? Where should they start that journey? You know what's interesting with this question? There's no starting point. Just jump in. Jump in with the awareness that actually you don't need to know everything. I keep going back to this because it's not about knowing. It's about allowing yourself not to know so you have the opportunity to listen and learn. What I say is HR, forget about HR as you know it, honestly, because AI is here. We can automate a lot of process. Can you imagine we automate all the notifications that we send to managers about performance managers, about talent reviews, about everything. All this can be automated. There is no need for interventions of people trying to change a word here, a word there. That doesn't matter anymore. What matters is building capability. HR is in the process of transforming itself. Operationally, we are getting better, integrating our systems. Let's put it that way, because systems of record, systems of insights, and systems of engagement are not connected today. So start there. Connect your systems. <laughs> because the employee experience is derived of this integration and consistency and coherence. If you achieve coherence, you're going to achieve progress. To respond directly to your, to your question is HR needs to start focusing on the capabilities of understanding human dynamic and human behavior in the social environment in the workplace. For that to happen, we have to start being more knowledgeable about emotional development, how people react to emotions after trauma, how people deal with stressors, and how to understand people's reactions without judging them. Because it's not easy. It's getting more complicated. And then think of HR as a center of capability that provides opportunity to build value for the business. So HR becomes a business center of capabilities because HR is really well positioned to change the way you organize our organization design. For example, 
work design is changing because AI is a partner and is a partner. And everything around this is leading us to be a little more flexible about job architectures, taxonomies. All of this is not as relevant as focusing on what needs to be done, regardless of the levels of the people that you're composing that team. Build a center of capability because that's what HR future is. I love that. And thank you for really answering the question we've asked all guests, of course. It's what is the future of HR in the next five to 10 years? And I hesitate to ask you because I've asked you before, right? It's always tough to kind of do that. But I think the center of capability, right, and just getting started is such an important message for the next generation of HR. So, Wagner, thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you for your new book, Leading to Succeed. I know it's going to be a big hit and very helpful versus the next generation of HR leaders. I'm glad that I had the opportunity to talk to you, JP, because you're doing a great job sharing this knowledge that's coming from so many sources of knowledge. And I love that. Nobody has one single answer, but I think you're helping people start thinking what are the potential opportunities for us to succeed. So thanks so much. I love doing this with you and I hope people enjoyed the book. Well, we hope you go out and buy the book. <laughs> Thank you. <Mike. laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Thank you so much, JP. Take care. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Future of HR podcast. Thanks again to Wagner for sharing his thoughts and insights on the future of work and how we can prepare the future generation to lead for success. As always, you can go to futureofhr.com to view all of our past episodes and learn more about our mission to inspire the next generation of HR leaders. And if you enjoyed this episode of Future of HR, be sure to subscribe, share a podcast with at least one other person, or even better, please leave a review on Apple or Spotify Podcasts. This really helps us grow the podcast and helps with our mission of inspiring the next generation of HR leaders. And I'd also like to hear from you as well, so feel free to drop me a line on LinkedIn. Let me know your ideas on how I can make the future of HR even better. We'll be back next week with Gabe Zitterman. Gabe's an entrepreneur, author, public speaker, who is known for his work in gamification and helping people become powerful communicators. We'll be talking to Gabe about gamification, but also going deep on his latest book, The AHA Method, Communicating Powerfully in a Time of Distraction. It is important that HR leaders be powerful communicators, and Gabe's conversation and book will help make sure that we all get better in this important area. This was a great conversation and one you won't want to miss. Thanks again for listening to the future of HR and being part of our community.